0: Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for our wonderful worship this morning. It's good to see you. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. Teach me how to, teach me how to pray. My favorite story regarding prayer involves Tony Campalo, a well-known Christian communicator. One day he was invited to speak at a Pentecostal college, which was close to his house. And when he arrived for the chapel service, he was immediately escorted to a little side room where eight men laid hands on him and prayed for him before he would go out to the chapel service at the Pentecostal college and preach. Campalo said he was really appreciative of their heartfelt prayers, but there was one guy who spent the longest time praying about something that had absolutely nothing to do with the chapel service. And the longer he prayed, the more the other guys grew weary and the more they leaned their hands down on his head, and neck, pushing down as the guy just kept going on and on about some guy, some friend of his named Charlie. He said in his prayer, God, you know Charlie. He lives down in that silver trailer about a mile down the road. Lord, you know Charlie. He's one. The trailer's on the right-hand side of the road. And Kampalo said he was thinking, knock it off, fella. Do you think God is saying, now what's his address again? Now where does Charlie live? He kept telling God where Charlie lived. He went on and on. Lord, you know Charlie. Charlie left his wife and kids this morning. He's going to walk out on his family, Lord. You step in, you do something about that today, Lord. We need to stop it. You know, Lord, Charlie, the guy who lives in the silver trailer about a mile down the road on the right. Kind of thought, man, I was just so glad when that guy quit praying about Charlie. That had nothing to do with my sermon or the chapel service or the college or anything. Well, Finally, it was time for him to go and preach his chapel message, and he did. And afterwards, he got into his car, and he started heading home, and he saw a hitchhiker. Well, he pulled over, and he picked up the hitchhiker, and Kampalo said he introduced himself to the hitchhiker and said, and what's your name? And the hitchhiker said, my name is Charlie. Kampalo went down the road about to the next turn off, exited, turned around and headed right back where they'd come from. And the guy kind of looked at him and said, I was headed the other way and you picked me up heading the other way. Why did not you pull off and head back the other direction? He said, Charlie, I know you're leaving your wife and kids this morning and that won't do. He, the guy just kind of leaned against his door and looked at Paolo a little bit and you imagine his shock when Kampalo went right down, a mile down the road to the silver trailer on the right-hand side of the road and pulled right in the driveway. He said, you go into your wife and you go into your kids. The guy jumped out of the car. He ran in, he knocked on the door, And he whispered something to his wife's ear. She was shouting, you're home, you're home. You've come home to me and the kids. She's so excited. And Charlie whispered something in her ear and her eyes got as big as saucers. And Campalo said, I'm coming in to talk to you too. And they said, well, how did you know where I lived? And he said, God told me where you lived and God, and he did. And God told me what you were going to do today and God doesn't like it. And he sat there to the husband and the wife, Charlie and his wife, and he shared Christ with them, and they both committed their life to Christ. And I'm happy to say, Charlie is now a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayers, even when they seem obnoxious and unwarranted about the wrong topic, somehow God uses our prayers in a powerful way for the working of his kingdom. We always ask of another the very best of them. If we have a friend who's a professional golfer, we'll say, will you teach me how to putt? If we have a friend who's a financial analyst, we might say, would you teach me how to invest to sell on the stock market? If we know a librarian, we might ask him or her, would you teach me how to do research on the web These days, if we have a a friend who's a great bowler, can you teach me how to make a strike? Well, what was it that characterized our Lord Jesus Christ at his very best? What the disciples watch him do and turn and say, Lord, will you teach me how to do that like you do that? They said, Lord, would you teach us to pray because prayer was so crucial and vital to his ministry. Jesus wanted to be vital to their ministry as well. He responded to their request, Lord, will you teach us how to pray with what we have called the Lord's Prayer? Haddon Robinson rightly observes, as I read the New Testament, I discovered the ministry of prayer was so crucial to our Lord. For us, prayer seems like something we do before we go into battle with evil powers. But for the Lord, the prayer was the battle itself. For Jesus, prayer was like running the marathon, and ministry was like going to receive the gold medal. Prayer was like taking that final examination And ministry was like going to receive the diploma. In what part of his ministry did Jesus shed the great drops of blood? It wasn't at Pilate's Hall, was it? It it wasn't as he staggered up the hill at Golgotha, was it? The great drops of blood and the ministry of our Lord come in the garden of Gethsemane during the act of prayer. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He prayed with strong cryings and tears. That's the way he made his petitions petitions made known to God. We've been there during our Lord's hour of agony, his hour of prayer in the garden, and watched the way he suffered and actually bled as he he prayed with such intensity, we would have said something like, if he's behaving this way, just while he's getting ready for the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, then what's it going to be like when he faces a real crisis? In fact, we might have said, look at the comfort his three friends have. They are they have comfort they are even sleeping during this time getting ready for the passion we might have said it is sad that the rabbi cannot be like his students as they find comfort sleeping in distress yes for christ the prayer was a distress but when the crisis came jesus went to the cross in triumph and his friends three of them they fell back and they fell away they had not been fervent in their prayer. Prayer, earnest prayer was a difference in the response between the Christ and his disciples. Now I'm very cautious when it comes to teaching people about prayer. I think sometimes the more complicated we make things in the spiritual realm, well, the more off target we really become. Reminded the mother Who said she came in from a a three-day prayer seminar she went to pick up her four-year-old from school and the four-year-old had to crawl over her mother's prayer text and her prayer notebook and her bible and the little girl said to her, her mother mommy have you been to school she saw it as one of those teaching moments for her daughter she said honey i've been learning how to pray The little girl replied, I already know how to pray. She responded, I just talk to God all day and God just talks to me. Mommy, I thought you knew how to pray too. I'm not trying to make it over complicated, but our Lord does give us a pattern, a a paradigm to follow. In reality, prayer ought to be one of the simplest things that we do. I didn't say an easy thing, but a simple thing that we do. We ought to come to God as a creature would approach creator. We ought to honor God in that he is different than we are. He is holy and righteous and just, and we ourselves do not belong even in his shadow, much less at a place at the foot of his throne. God knows our hearts and God knows our desires. We need, as we come to God, to speak to Him, as we might speak to someone that we admire so much, someone that loves us most and has our very best interest in mind. Little girl was right. We really do know how to pray. This morning, I approached the topic realizing that those of you who have a personal relationship with Christ as your Lord and Savior, you already know how to talk to Him because He's your Father, He's your friend. Well, let's look at verse 1. And it came about that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples to pray. He was impressed by Jesus' communication with God. So when Jesus had finished his prayer, the servant said to his master, Lord, teach us to pray like that. He realized that the prayers of Jesus seemed so much more effective than his own prayers Lord, give us a paradigm. Lord, give us a pattern to follow. And Jesus responds, when you pray, pray like this. And then he began his his prayer. Well, the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. Jesus teaches us to pray to a particular person. Jesus teaches us to pray to a particular person. Notice what he says. Our Father. Jewish worshipers would have never addressed God with the word Abba, Daddy, or Father. It would have been unthinkable, perhaps even blasphemous, to talk to God that way, to call Him your Abba. They would have used a more formal word in the Hebrew language. It was revolutionary, therefore, When Jesus said to his disciples, When you call upon God, call upon your Father, our Father who art in heaven. We learned that we're praying to someone with whom we have a personal relationship. Our prayer life is a real concern, for we're speaking to the Creator of the cosmos, the Lord of the universe, one who is willing to move heaven and earth and to answer a sincere and a reasonable prayer. Prayer is not a mechanical duty, but rather a wonderful opportunity prayer is to develop a loving and a caring relationship with the most powerful person of our lives. Lest for one moment we lose our reverence for God when we say our Abba or our Daddy who is in heaven. Notice the next word that he gives us. Hallowed be thy name. Yes, there's that personal relationship of him being our Father, but there's also that reverence always there. Hallowed be thy name. We're speaking about God's character there, aren't we? We're acknowledging that God in our lives that God will always be God to us we will not try to whittle him down we will not try to manipulate him we will not try to put him into our pocket but rather even as we call him father that we will at one and the same time remember that he is holy and righteous and good and our lives God will be revered and God will be respected Lord, in my prayers and in my life, may you be God to me. As the people of God and as the children of God, we're not praying to some unknown higher power in our lives, but rather the one to whom we pray we know is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We're praying to the God of the patriarchs and the matriarchs. We're praying to the God who has created us. We're praying to the God who sustains us, the one who intervened with the crucifixion of his Christ, his son, the one who had the power to call his son forth from the grave, the God who's coming again to establish his kingdom. We know the one to whom we pray, the one who made us It knows us best. Well, not only a person, but the next one is a program. Thy kingdom come. Seek the program of God. Thy kingdom come, or as Matthew's version says, thy will be done. The Bible teaches us very clearly that God acts in history. And that God is directing history to a certain climax, a a certain end. It is linear in movement in the epochs and times of God. That God is working to establish his great messianic kingdom that he's promised throughout the Old Testament. It's a kingdom that Christ will come back and Christ will rule. It is the kingdom that lasts for all eternity. Thy kingdom come. We know where God is moving, the permanent and eternal establishment of his kingdom where the Christ himself illuminates and serves as a son. It is that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2. We know it is, we're seeking to establish with God his kingdom. Our daddy or our father, you have a holy name and we want your kingdom to come. We want your kingdom to be established. So before you pray about anything else, talk to a person, the father, and then seek his program, seek his kingdom. Let your divine rule come it is a hope, it is a prayer that God will have his way in the hearts of men and women. That those who are now under the sway of evil and darkness will find themselves under the power of his very kingdom. Those living in sin and rebellion against God will yield themselves to the peace of obedience. Father, Holy be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We ask God for so many things, but have you ever wondered what would your life be like if God answered yes to every one of your prayers? Would you really want a God who gave you everything that you asked for, whether it was best for you or not? whether it established his kingdom or your own reign and rule, I I, I do not want to pray to a God who gives me whatever I want, no matter the consequences. For you see, God knows best and God knows all. How detrimental would it be in your life if, through the years, all the things you'd sought from God, all the prayers that you had prayed, that God had given you everything that you asked for. It's not my will be done. It is his program. Your will be done. If God gave us all we asked for, we would be miserable. Be careful. Ask not for your will, but for his will, his program, his way. For some of you, it's been a while. For some of you, it was last week. You've been to a grocery store with a four- or five-year-old recently. Can you imagine going to the grocery store and saying to your five-year-old son or daughter, today you're picking out all the food. Whatever you put in the buggy, that's what we're eating all week long. Whatever you want us to eat, that's what we're going with. We're just going to think that you know the best this week. Well, if the five-year-old's picking, there won't be any broccoli. It'll only be brownies, right? If if the five-year-old's picking, there won't be any milk. It'll only be milk duds. There won't be any carrots in the buggy. It will be carrot cake in the buggy or that wonderful icing on top. You don't want to turn to a five-year-old and let their will and their way be done in the grocery store, do you? You'd all be sick in a few weeks. You see, God guides us and tells us no to his program and his way even as we speak to our own children. God has the same destiny in mind for all of us, that each of us would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and God's overarching desire and destiny for you is for you to say yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, His itinerary on this trip includes stops that encourage us on the journey. And he frowns sometimes in a way that deters us. And when his sovereign plan and our earthly plan collide, a decision has to be made as to who's going to be in charge on the journey of our lives. God must choose between your earthly passion and his heavenly plan, your salvation. Now, which one do you hope God chooses? Me too. Me too. Here's a, here's a third thing. Provider. A person, a program, and a provider. Give each of us our daily bread. When Jesus speaks about our daily bread, he's speaking of the necessity of life. If you were speaking to people in the Orient, he would have said, give us our daily bowl of rice. Or if it had been to the Italians, he would have said, give us our daily pasta. In this culture, give us our daily bread. Several years ago, from antiquity, they found a, a papyri piece, which is an ancient writing material. And then it was a woman's grocery list. Even in antiquity, the women made grocery lists, an old papyri, an old grocery grocery list. And she had listed all the things she wanted to pick up at the town market that day. And upon each perishable item, she had the word written, epiusios, 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 give me a day's worth. Don't want to pick up too much. It'll small. Every day she went to the market to get an epiusios. It's the Greek word here in the text. A daily portion in order to be able to survive. Give us our daily bread. Perhaps we don't think that way as much with, free ver- with freezers full of food and canned food and ways to store it. But in that culture, you woke up every morning and you wanted Epiusius. You wanted to give us our day's worth of bread. We acknowledge that God is the provider of all that we have. Isn't that what the blessing for a meal is all about? It's stopping and saying, hey, we realize If it weren't for God's good grace, we'd have nothing to eat. Of course, our food pantry at Buchanan Street Chapel, giving out food constantly every week. And last Saturday, 3,000 cars came onto First Baptist property as we partnered with other nonprofits to provide food. 3,000 people drove up, popped the trunk, and food was put in there. Maybe we were thinking what it means for God to provide food our daily bread. To stop and say, God, you are the provider of this meal. Frederick Beekner wrote, there's a restaurant in the city somewhere, a sort of quick lunch place with no tablecloths on the tables, just the ketchup and the mustard jars on the bare wood. It seems to be raining outside An elderly man with a raincoat and umbrella comes in the door. Another man glances up as he sits there smoking a cigar over a newspaper and the remains of his copy. Two teenagers sit at a table, one of them with a cigarette in his mouth, and they're all looking, staring at the same thing, which is an old woman and a small boy who are sharing a table With those teenagers, their heads are bowed and they are saying grace. The people watching them say grace, they gaze in fascination. While the small boy's ears stuck out from his head like handles on a jug. The old woman's eyes were closed, her hair was untidy under a hat that is certainly seen Better days. The people are watching something that you you feel they may have been a part of once but no longer are a part of it. Through the plate glass window and the rain, the city looks dim, monotonous and industrial. The old woman and the boy are saying grace there. And for a moment, the silence in the place is fathomless. The watchers are watching something They've all but forgotten and will probably forget again as soon as the moment passes. They might as well be watching creatures from another planet. The old woman and the boy in their old-fashioned clothes, praying an old-fashioned prayer, are leftovers from a day that has long ceased to be. Thank God For that daily provision, give us this day our daily bread. There's another one, fourthly, a pardon. A pardon. Not only provision, but also a pardon. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. These two requests seem oddly linked. God give us our daily bread and forgive us our daily sins. Most of us don't have any trouble remembering to thank God for our daily bread, our stomach rumbles, we know we're hungry, but sometimes we forget that we ourselves all need a daily portion of God's pardon. Augustine called this a terrible petition, for it's not just forgive our sins, but we also forgive sins of everyone who's wronged us. There's a link between the way that I forgive others and the forgiveness I receive or ask from the Father in heaven. When we ask for pardon, we're admitting there's pollution in our lives. We admit that about ourselves, and therefore we understand the fallibles and others. You see how close to blasphemy to God it would be? To say, you who are holy, oh God, forgive me my sins, but this person has offended me, and I'm so holy, I'm so righteous, it's unthinkable, I will not extend forgiveness to him. People who want God's forgiveness but don't want to forgive others are self-righteous. You cannot get forgiveness from a self-righteous person any more than you can get apple juice from a slab Of marble oh God forgive me as I forgive those around me we might pray it this way Lord deal with me as I have dealt with others as I give others grace oh God would you give me grace well here's a fifth one protection lead us not into temptation We certainly don't need the Lord to lead us into temptation. We pretty well know that address ourselves, don't we? Notice the request that Jesus asks us to make in our prayer. Lord, don't even let me get close to sinning today. The truth of the matter is, if we're honest, we sort of like temptation. Oh, we don't want to fall into the well of enslaving sin, but we don't mind dancing around the rim just a little bit fantasizing about the temptation itself. What would it be like to get to dance and not have to pay the orchestra? We want the excitement of temptation, but we don't want the consequences of sin. We want to live in that in-between land of not jumping into the ocean, but we don't mind a little bit of the mist of the sea on our faces. Jesus says if you pray to God correctly, you'll ask him to help you stay away, not only from sin, but from the very temptation of sin itself. For we recognize the enemy of our souls would destroy us if he could. He wants to separate us from God, our Father. He wants us to think that it is our kingdom that matters and not the kingdom of God that's coming. He wants us to think that we hustle for our own daily bread and we can forget about temptation because that separates us from God. Lead us not into temptation. Oh, Lord, could you teach us to pray the way you pray? He says, first of all, pray to a person, your Abba, your Father, your Father. In heaven. And then ask for the reverence to be shown in your life. Hallowed be thy name. And then pray for his program. Thy kingdom come. Don't give me what I want. Your will be done. And recognize it is he who provides for all your needs. Give us today our daily bread. And then that daily pardon. Oh Lord forgive me and I will forgive others. And then that protection. Lead me away from temptation. The one concern of Satan is to keep the church from praying. He doesn't fear anything about prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless good deeds or religion. He laughs at our toll, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when the church prays. Lord, would you teach me lord could you teach me to pray oh god what a privilege to be able to even come to your throne and call you father you realize that you are driving each of us towards your eternal kingdom Indeed, we ask for your will and your way in each of our lives. We acknowledge fully that without you, we would have nothing of daily bread and without your pardon, we would be stained sinners. And as we receive your pardon, we're to forgive and return. God, Satan has a plan for each of our falls and we pray that you would lead us down a path that would give us no temptation. Oh, God, thank you for letting your son teach us to pray. Amen.